Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. The story of Christmas, Jesus and the Wise Men. This is Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God who would grow up to do amazing things. His parents on earth Hi. and Joseph. Jesus was born in a barn because there was no room for him anywhere else in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was part of Judea, an area that was ruled by a king named Herod. King Herod Jerusalem when some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Excuse me. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Herod heard that there was another king in Judea. He was very upset. As was everyone else in Jerusalem. Yeah, not you. So Herod called all the important priests and Jews together and asked them where the king was supposed to be born. The Jews knew that their king would eventually come and was always told to them that the king of the Jews, the savior of the world, would be born in Bethlehem. So they told that to King Herod. Then King Herod thought of a way to trick the wise men. So he called a private meeting with them and learned from them when the king of the Jews' star first appeared. Oh God! And then King Herod told the wise men, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can go and worship him too. Eh, okay. Hey, on your ass. But secretly, Herod wanted to know where the king of the Jews was, so he could get rid of him. So the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where Jesus was, and the wise men were filled with joy. They went into the house and saw Mary and Jesus. Hello. Oh, look. Wow. And they bowed down and worshipped Jesus. Wait. They gave him special gifts fit for the king that he was, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then God warned them in a dream to not go home through Jerusalem where King Herod was, but God told them to go home a different way. So they did. And then an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up! The angel told Joseph to go to Egypt with Mary and Jesus because Herod was looking to kill Jesus. That very night, Joseph left for Egypt with Jesus and Mary. They stayed in Egypt until Herod was gone and it was safe for them to go home to Israel. When they turned, an angel warned them about the new ruler of Judea who was Herod's son. This way. So Joseph and his family went to the region of Galilee and found their new home in the town of Nazareth. Look good? Yep. We'll take it. Where Jesus would grow up and eventually do all the amazing things God had planned for him to do. Well, Merry Christmas, church. 
Man, look at this room. And man, I am so thankful this morning to do family Christmas together. We are thankful for all of you. And if you're a guest with us this morning, I just want to welcome you to Salem Heights and say Merry Christmas. We are just so thankful for this opportunity to gather together on the actual day of Christmas. I had the privilege this morning to taking us to God's word and being able just to remind us of a, a simple Christmas truth. And one of the challenges of giving a Christmas message to Christians is sometimes the familiarity of the story causes us to kind of look at the Christmas story with more of a nostalgic lens than an actual present spiritual reality, that the things that Christ came to accomplish and the things that started um, when, when that baby came to earth, they're actually still at work today, those realities. And so my hope this morning, what I've been praying for, is a way for us to connect with the Christmas story in a way that just reminds us this is more than tradition. This is truth. It's truth that gives us hope. It's what gives us direction. It calms our fears. And so this morning, I'd like for us just to kind of highlight one portion of the Christmas story we see in the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 25. And my, my hope is that in our short time together this morning, as we've stopped all of our family festivities and traditions to come to church, to celebrate, to worship, and now hear the word of God, my hope is that I can highlight for us one present spiritual reality that is just as true for us today as it was for Mary and Joseph the wise men, the shepherds, and all of those who witnessed the events of that very first Christmas. And so I'm going to have you remain seated this morning as I read for us Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you're ready to hear the word of the Lord, say ready. ready. This is the word of the Lord. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Sorry, sticky pages. See, the virgin is pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will give him the name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather as a church family this morning to celebrate Christmas on Christmas. And God, as we look at this familiar text and we consider what it has to say for us tomorrow morning, I pray that you would speak clearly through your word that you would help us see that this is not just a story that we look back with warm memories, God, but it's a story that changes everything and that it's still doing something for us today, thousands of years later. God, we pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen. 
Here's the big idea I want to highlight for us this morning that I think we see clearly in these few verses in Matthew chapter 1, and that is this. The birth of Jesus is the death of fear. We're a fearful people. I was reading an article last year. They haven't come out with this year's, but last year, 2021, they did a survey, and they divided it up by states on the things that people searched for that they were most fearful of. Um, It was interesting to see. I think we have a picture of how the states broke down. Uh, the top phobia in each state, <clears throat> the number one fear. So 10 out of the 50 states had the fear of failure being the biggest fear. But there's some other unique fears up here. In Oregon, the greatest fear that was Googled about was water. In Wyoming, it's clowns. Montana, it's people. Utah, they were the fear of needles. In the New Mexico and Hawaii, the fear of holes. We are fearful people. We have lots of fears, some rational, some irrational, but we all have fears. And, and the instinct and the, and the ability to be fearful can actually be a good thing. It can keep us from danger, but it actually can be something that's actually harmful to us. One of the things that has just been resonating in my mind over these last couple of weeks, reading through the Christmas story here in Matthew 1 and then Luke 2, is that three specific times we see this phrase, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Uh, the first time we see it in Luke is to Mary, where, he, where the angel says to Mary, don't be afraid for you have found favor with God. To the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, the angel says to the shepherds, Don't be afraid, for I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And then here in our text this morning, we see an angel speak to Joseph in a dream. says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Lord. Now, I'm guessing that while the angel started saying, don't be afraid, terrifying the presence of a natural being angel showing up out of nowhere would be a pretty traumatic thing. Um, Every time we see this throughout the scriptures that a a human is able to see visibly through a dream or actually we believe in physical reality, the angel's presence, it it terrifies them. They often fall to their knees, often quake in fear. But in reality, the angels are saying, there's no need to be fearful of why I'm here because what I am delivering to you, the message I am bringing to you as a messenger God is good news. It's the news that God, the creator of all things, has come near. And this is good. Uh, The the theological term for this is the incarnation, God taking on flesh. We see in in John chapter 1 verse 14 that it talks about how the word, which is referring to Jesus Christ, the son of the Trinity, the the co-eternal with the Father, became flesh among mankind. And the incarnation put to death doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, maybe if the, if the story was like a hero, a superhero steps in and, you know, have no fear because Arnold's here. You know, maybe that makes a little bit more sense of why I don't need to be afraid. Why? Because we associate with an action hero the strength and the means by which to take away the fear, to be stronger than the thing that's causing us fear, to have the means to be able to address and deal with the thing that's bringing us fear. But here, a baby, 
But there are two names we read in our text this morning that give us insight that this was not just an ordinary baby. The name and yet maybe not understanding what it actually means. We often talk about your name, but not ordinary, because both of these names tell us, they signal that God has arrived to be with his people, to accomplish a plan that was set in place all the way back in the garden. And now it's about to be initiated and fulfilled on behalf of all people so that you and I could have life. A life that we find in Christ that, it, that drives out all fear. That is good news for today. And that's what I want us to focus on. fears that we all deal with. The first one is this. Emmanuel. Drives out the fear of judgment. I think we've all had those moments. Been fearful. And we did. I remember. Where I knew that. I heard those dreadful. Dad gets home. So punishment. It was rightfully deserved something wrong I had violated expectation or a standard consequence because of, of love not okay poor decision. there is a fear when we impending judgment coming that is deserved and the reason the reality is that you and I all have a, a reason to be concerned when it comes to sin Romans tells us that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the, the punishment, the consequence for your sin is death. Not just physical death, but a spiritual death that, that we're experiencing right now if we have not started a relationship with Christ, if we've not believed in the good news of the gospel that Christ came, lived a perfect life that you and I could not live so that he could die a sin in our place that we were supposed to die and then offer us freely a gift of salvation by merely believing because of what he has done for us. We all deserve death. We all deserve separation from God. And yet here the angel shares some good news with Joseph. That this baby had been sent to save people from their sins. It says here in verse 21. She will give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is not just a name. It has meaning behind it. It's actually the Greek form of Hebrew word we know as Joshua that literally means Yahweh saves. God saves. God does what you can't do on your own. He can actually save you, rescue you from the penalty that you deserve because you have sinned against God. I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned. And so he tells Joseph, name him Jesus. Give him a name that communicates what he's here to do. He's here to save people. He's here intentionally. He's here purposefully. Emmanuel, Jesus, has come to save his people from sin. And so the question is, who are his people? Because if that's what he's here to do, I want to be one of those people, right? Who are his people? Well, if we think about it from a purely human 
perspective, his people are going to be the people that are the most attractive, the most deserving, the most, you know, the people that he wants to be associated with, right? But Jesus didn't come to save those who were the most rich or the most influential or the most powerful. No, he came to save those who would believe. That classic verse, John three sixteen, that tells us that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son and whoever would believe in him, not just believe kind of intellectually, like yeah, I believe there was a Jesus, but believe in him that Jesus was the son of God who came down, took on human flesh to live a life of perfection so that he was qualified to die for somebody else because he had no sins of his own to pay for, no penalties on his own account. And therefore he could take the penalties of someone else and pay for them with his life. That if they believe in that, John 3 tells us that they will not perish. They will not suffer the consequence for that penalty, but have everlasting life. Jesus would take the full punishment for the sins of all mankind once and for all. Do you believe that's true? Because that's what the incarnation was for. He came, he came and the birth of, of Jesus drives out the fear of judgment. The, 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 the fear that one day I might be standing before the Lord and have to give for how I live my life. And without Christ, my life is going to fall short of his glory and the expectation and the standard by which I have a relationship with God. There's a beautiful verse in Romans chapter eight that says, therefore now there is no condemnation then for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Christ came as a baby and died on our behalf, those who place their faith in him have their sins fully forgiven, past, present, and future, because he paid the full price, the once and for all sacrifice for all of our sins. And now because of that, there's not one single condemnation or accusation that can be made against anybody who is in Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Earlier this year, there was a, the start of something that started to happen worldwide. Uh, some protesters begin to go into famous art museums and start to make demonstrations uh, as a way, it was a political activism. In this past October, two activists went into uh, the London National Gallery and they threw tomato soup on one of Vincent Van Gogh's paintings called Sunflowers. It was painted in 1888. And uh, it's estimated that it's worth several hundred million dollars. Uh, this is just one area where they came in and they threw this. And there's video of people uh, who saw this and were recording it who were in there. And the people looking at the art protesters do this thing where they threw tomato soup on this very priceless work of art were just offended. They were appalled at, like, why would you do that? Just a few hours later, the London National Gallery posted this announcement on their social media. They said, after, just after 11 a.m. this morning, two people entered room 43 of the National Gallery. The pair appeared to glue themselves to the wall adjacent to Van Gogh's sunflowers. They also threw a red substance, what appears to be tomato soup, over the painting. Now the room was cleared of visitors and the police were called. Officers now on the scene. And listen to this. There was some minor damage to the frame, but the painting is unharmed. They came out there, they threw this tomato soup on this painting, and just a few hours later, the painting was back in its place to be observed by people who wanted to see it. Why? Well, because that painting had a thin layer of glass over it that protected anything from getting on it, sticking on it, and damaging it. 
and they were able to wipe it off. You know, the same thing is true for us who are in Christ Jesus. You know, the world and our own conscience will try to put an accusation at us. Come to die for us. Me. And there'll be accusations. With and say against, they can lob those condemnations at us. They can lob those accusations at us. But those of us in Christ Jesus are protected. We're in Christ. He takes all of that. He pays for all of that. We are unharmed because we are in Christ. And so the fear of judgment, the fear of actual pain, the penalty being harmed by that stuff, has been removed because the birth of Jesus was the death of fear. But there's a second type of fear that a lot of us struggle with that I think the incarnation solves, and that's the fear of loneliness. The fear of loneliness. I was reading a story about a, a lonely Italian man who was almost 80 years old in a village just outside of Rome. His wife had been dead for seven years. His only daughter lived away, and all he was left with was his books and his cats. He seldom ventured out. He had a very silent rhythm of life, it says in the story, and he rarely spoke to others. He was lonely, and one day, he had enough of it. So what did he do? He put an ad in the local paper, and he put himself up for adoption. (laughs) He put an ad in Italy's largest daily paper. It says this, 79-year-old man seeks family in need of a grandfather would bring 500 euros a month to the family willing to adopt him. The ad says here, the article changed his life. A paper ran the front page article about him and inquiries poured in from all over the world overnight. He went from having nothing but time to having scarcely enough time to handle the interview requests. A pop star responded, a millionaire offered servants in a seaside villa, but one letter stood out. And he explained it why it stood out. Because every member of that family, father, mother, sister, brother, had signed it. And he went to live with them. I think we all have a fear of loneliness. God has created us to not be alone. Do you know that? I know that Christmas for some people is a little bit of a loneliness. For some of you, this is the first holiday that you're, that you're going through without a loved one. That has been so special and near and dear. That can be hard. We can be feared of being alone. We can be fearful of being alone because if, you know, if people really knew who I was, then they wouldn't want to be around me. And so like, I got to kind of hide behind this facade that I put and I pretend, but just the weight of trying to keep that facade up every day so people don't see the real me so that they might want to have a relationship with me becomes a burden that just becomes to weigh us down every day. Many of us can relate to the fear of loneliness, but Emmanuel changes things. Verse 23, again, here in our text says, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This is an amazing statement. Philippians chapter two goes on to highlight the fact that this was not just any kind of random act, but this was an intentional, purposeful act by the living God, the one who created all things, who even though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, but instead emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Emmanuel came to be with us, to, to know you and to be known, to, to restore the intimacy that has been ripped apart and divided because of sin. And he says, let me remove that sin. Let me deal with that sin and, and offer you an opportunity to have a relationship with God again. A relationship that would mean, in essence, that you would never have to walk alone now in your lostness, in the darkness, trying to rely on your own self, but you would actually walk with God. One theologian, Brian Rosner, put it like this. The idea of us being known by God is the Cinderella story of theology. Why would he choose to come and spend time with you and with me out of all the people that he could spend time with? Why did God come to be with us? Emmanuel knew this. He knows who we are. He knows what we've done. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows everything about our personality. He knows about our quirks. He knows about the things that we continually get tripped up with. And none of that stopped him from coming and being with us. I can't help to think about that story in Luke about Zacchaeus, that tax collector who was short in stature. People did not like him because he was a crook. He betrayed his own people. He took advantage of people. And yet he heard about Jesus and what Jesus was doing is when Jesus was coming by, he wanted to get a look, but he had to climb up in a tree, right? To see Jesus. He was just trying to get a glimpse of this guy. He didn't go with anybody. He didn't go that day to the crowds with somebody to go check this out. He was by himself. And I'm guessing as he went to where the crowds were, people were looking at him going, what are you doing here? So he climbs up in this tree and I love in the story, it says Jesus makes his way through the crowds and walks straight to Zacchaeus, the least liked person in this region. And he says, I've come to see you. I've come to be with you, Zacchaeus. I've come to be with you. And I love what it says at the end of that little story in Luke chapter 19. It says this, for the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. God desires to be with us. He desires to be with you. And the reality is you desire to be with God, even if you have no relationship with God. There's something longing you to be connected, to be known and to know others and to be valued and seen and cared for. And yet we look for it sometimes in all the wrong places. We try to find that, that sense of fulfillment and things that God has created rather than saying the creator is the one that we're desiring to be close with. And he has done everything necessary to restore that relationship with us. Will we stop looking to fill that void with things of this world and find it in the creator that says, I've come to be with you. I've come to walk with you. Be with me. So the, the arrival of the son, Emmanuel, God with us, drives out the fear of loneliness. We don't have to be alone any longer. We can be and walk with God. There's one last one here as we wrap up this morning. That the birth of this baby is the end of the fear of inadequacy. Because see, God with us isn't just about what he came to do in the past. God with us is something that can and we'll march forward. God with us means that I'm never left to just my own, own intellect and my own experiences to try to deal with the challenges that I'm facing in life. I think we all love the word with. I remember as a dad when my kids were younger and you know, we'd ask them to go do something 
that might be a little bit scary. You know, go, go ask permission or go talk to this person or hey, go, go, go get a refill. Dad, will you go with me? We all feel more comfortable when we go with somebody. Like a child holding their parent's hand. There's something comforting in knowing that if I need to go do something scary or if I need to go in some place where I feel alone, it's, I would rather have someone go with me than to, to have to face that alone. God with us means that whatever we ask the Lord to come with us, to go with us, his answer will always be yes. Lord, I'm going into this tough doctor's appointment. I don't know what the prognosis is going to be. Will you go with me? He's like, I'm already there. Lord, I have to go have a really difficult conversation with my family today at Christmas. Will you go with me? Yes. Lord, I got to go confess some sin that I've been hiding, but I can't hide it any longer. Will you go with me? Because I'm afraid that they will not forgive me and this could really change things. Will you help? Yes. Emmanuel means that for those who are in Christ, we don't have to walk through life's challenges alone. As we hear this truth, what an amazing promise. God is with us. Now he's come to be with us and he's gonna walk with us. So why, what do we do when we start to fear these things? What do we start to do when we feel fear loneliness and we fear our inadequacy and we fear other things? I think inadequacy is actually not designed to swell fear in our lives, but actually can be seen as more of a gift. Because when we feel inadequate, like, Lord, I can't face this. Lord, I don't know how to do this. My weight is not going to be good enough. My, my, my resources are not going to be good enough, Lord. I, I've really messed things up. That when we feel those things that actually might be the reality of what's going on there, that inadequacy is actually designed to drive us to the one who can Sometimes we get stuck in the inadequacy and, I'm, and this is me. Sometimes I look at certain things I feel are on my plate or on my shoulders or laying in front of me and I'm like, I can't do this. And I think the father is looking down going, you're right. But I came to be with you. You do not have to do it on your own anymore. Will you follow me? Will you trust me? Will you let me help you? Emmanuel reminds us that he came down to be one of us. Dr. David, David Jeremiah recounts the time that he was listening to Paul Harvey and he heard a story that really helped him understand what, what it means when it says that God came to be with us. It's about the shivering sparrow. You may have heard it. But it goes like this on one raw winter night, a man heard an irregular thumping against the kitchen storm door. He went to the window and he watched as tiny shivering sparrows attracted to the evident warmth inside were flying into the window, come inside and hit the window and then they would fall down. The farmer was a very compassionate person and he was touched. So he decided to help these helpless birds and he bundled up and trudged through the fresh snow to open the barn for the struggling birds. He turned on the lights, tossed some hay in the corner, sprinkled the trail of saltine crackers to where the birds were. But the sparrows, who had scattered in all directions when, emerged, when he emerged from the house, hid in the darkness and didn't come into the barn. 
So he tried some other things. He circled behind the birds where they were and tried to drive them into the barn. He tossed cracker crumbs in the air towards them, retreating to the house to see if they would flutter into the barn on their own. Nothing worked. Because he was a huge alien creature and he had terrified these birds, the birds couldn't understand that he actually wanted to help them. So he withdrew to his house and watched the doomed sparrows through the window. And as he stared, a thought hit him like lightning from a clear blue sky. If only I could become a bird. If only I could be one of them for just a moment, then I wouldn't frighten them so much. I could show them the way to warmth and safety. At the same moment, another thought dawned on him. He had just grasped the entire principle of the incarnation. A man becoming a bird as nothing compared to God becoming a man. The concept of a sovereign being as big as the universe he created, confining himself to a human body, was and is too much for us to understand. God came with us. He lived a perfect life that has been recorded for us in God's holy word that we can read and we can follow. And he led the way. He created the way. He shows us the way to be at peace. He drives out fear. He shows us where warmth and safety can be found. And because God is with me, I have no reason to fear. Do you remember that beautiful Psalm, Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Jesus came as a baby. Luke 2.52 tells us that he grew in wisdom and in stature. So he grew physically and intellectually in favor with God and man. He lived a life of perfection. He was tempted in every way, just like us, yet did not sin. He understands, he understands our need and he gave his life for us because of great love that wasn't motivated out of obligation or pity. It was motivated out of the fact that he is love. And he came and he died. He rose again and he offers us the free gift of salvation so that we don't have to live in fear. Fear of judgment, fear of loneliness, or fear of inadequacy. And before he returned to heaven, which he said he would go for a short time and then one day return to take us to be with him forever, he told us this amazing statement, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Emmanuel came to be with us. And for those of us who have a relationship with Christ, he's with us. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's good news. That is a spiritual reality for today. This morning, we celebrate Emmanuel, who came to dispel fear for those who believe in him. We say, thank you, Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, I, I'm reminded this morning that we needed you to be our Savior. You came as Jesus, the one who would save his people from their sins. And Father God, you continue to show us 
that today you are continuing to lead us and guide us and protect us. Father God, as we live our lives, help us to not live independent of you, but to walk with you, to know you more, and to live in the life that you give abundantly through your death, burial, and resurrection. We love you. We thank you for coming to be with us. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.